I'm going to try something a little bit different this week. And in order to describe that, I'm going to give you a little bit of a peek behind the curtain of how I approach making the episodes of this podcast. For 33 episodes now, really 35 if you count those little .5 episodes that I've done a couple of times, I have approached writing out what I want to talk about for each one of these in some significant detail. Now, I don't read it per se. I don't read what I come up with on the page, word for word or anything like that, but there has come a point, at least the last couple of episodes, where my notes have actually become quite wordy, and this has been bothering me a little bit. This is far from how I approached things when I was preaching regularly. I did that for 15 years. My style evolved, but by the end, the last couple of years that I was doing so week in and week out, I made it a point to keep myself to no longer than a page of what I wanted to say. They weren't bullet points, but they were pretty close to it. But then, I wouldn't even consult that page while I actually preached. I would keep the page close to me. It would sit on the pulpit as a safety net of sorts, but I would step a few feet away from it. And that is where I would st actually stand to give my sermon. This is not how I've approached this podcast. And I've started to wonder if this approach, this present approach I've been using, has been holding me back. I've been wondering if I've been clinging too tightly to the page, and whether doing so has stifled the spirit of what this could be, at least a little. So let's see what happens if I let the page go. Or, at the very least, let's see what happens if I loosen my grip a bit. Maybe the spirit that I am wishing for will come out a bit more, or maybe I'll fall on my face and the last 10 minutes or so of this episode will just me be me going, Bleh. I hope not. I don't have to do it this way. I don't have to do it any particular way at all. After all, you can't see what I'm doing, but maybe it will change how you hear me. And maybe it will change how I make myself heard. Let's find out. Welcome to the Coffeehouse Contemplative Podcast.
you're going to have to indulge me in a little bit more preaching inside baseball for a little bit. But I promise that it does have relevance for all of my non-preacher listeners. You just have to bear with me as I build my point to that. But I hope that using this particular example will be illuminating in and of itself. I recently came across an article in the Christian Century magazine. It has gotten quite a bit of attention from my clergy colleagues, and I have actually read it several times myself because so much of it has resonated with me. It centers on the thought of the playwright Tetsuro Shigematsu. And I apologize if I butchered this name just now. And he begins with twin concepts, at least to me they are, they are twin concepts, that he uses to begin to illustrate how he would approach preaching and really any creative endeavor. First, he describes a concept that he calls the glass tube. And what happens in the glass tube? It's, it's very polished, and it's very nice, and it's very clean. And this is the kind of approach where everything that you wish to have happen is neatly and tightly contained within this tube. So, for the preacher, in the preacher's case, everything is meticulously written out. And as Shigematsu puts it, when it is time for the preacher to get up and give the sermon, they simply press, press, sorry, play. That is the glass tube approach to preaching. Everything in its place, everything meticulously planned to the letter and to the period. Now, the other concept that he talks about in this piece of the article is what he calls the eruption of the real. So, getting back to our preacher, they get up, they begin to give the sermon, but rather than try to keep everything tightly contained, they let the room have an effect on what they do and on what they say, on how they say it. It even has an effect on the words that they use. It might even influence them to change course a little bit or to bring in something supplemental that they weren't originally planning to say. In the eruption of the real, the person, the preacher, reacts to what happens. It approaches the sermon as a moment in time, which is one of my core concepts of what a sermon is and should be. This 
Approaching it in this way allows for improvisation. It allows for innovation. It allows for this kind of changing of course if it is deemed necessary in the moment. According to Shigematsu, this type of an approach or this type of an allowance for the eruption of the real to happen, it breaks one's chain to the manuscript. You don't memorize it in order to do so. You just have to understand it. You just have to understand where you want to go and the type of material you want to use, you were planning to use, in order to get there. Now, Shigematsu uses another example and another set of dueling concepts, which could be characterized as over-preparing versus under-preparing. And in this part, he switches gears. He doesn't talk about preaching so much as he, he mentions a lawyer that he knows who under-prepares, who deliberately under-prepares, so that when the time comes to argue their case, rather than have their nose buried in notes, they're able to look into the jurors' eyes. They can see the reactions, they pay attention, they read the room, and they change the argument that they go in understanding well enough if they have to. Now, you may not be a preacher, and you may not be a lawyer, but it's quite easy to adjust this overall concept, these overall concepts, to whatever setting you're most familiar with. Whether it's teaching, or making some kind of a presentation, or any kind of vocation, or any kind of a moment that requires a lot of one-on-one -on -one listening and interaction and response, there is that critical importance of reading the situation. If you go in with a glass tube approach, just to hit all of the notes that you want to hit, and then leaving, you miss an opportunity to actually interact with people's responses. What happens? What could happen to the relationship with a group of people or one-on-one -on -one if you insist, no matter what, on sticking rigidly to the script? If where you're supposed to be listening to someone else, you're merely thinking about the next thing that you want to say. We end up missing out on a lot. We end up missing out on the genuineness of the moment. We miss out on the possibility of the eruption of the real. So back to preaching for a little bit. I want to briefly describe the evolution of where I've been in my own preaching preparation journey. I started as a manuscript preacher. 
And I have all the love in the world for those who insist or who feel most comfortable with this kind of style. I wrote out every single line. I was very proud of my turns of phrase, and I, I didn't want people to miss out uh, on how poetic and, and how carefully I had put things together. And that suited me for a while until writing a manuscript every single week became just so tedious. So I switched. I didn't abandon any kind of notes, but I went to preaching from more of a, a detailed outline. I would write out my points with, again, a significant amount of detail, and I would preach from that instead. At times, I would stick behind the pulpit and, and just talk from the notes in front of me. At other more daring times, I would leave the pulpit and I would speak more extemporaneously, but keeping in mind what I wanted to say, understanding my notes well enough to do so. And then, eventually, came the single-page approach that I have mentioned. If I went over a single page, it meant that I needed to cut something out. I wanted things to be brief. I didn't want to rely on the printed word much at all. Those turns of phrase, I trusted myself that in some way those would come to me in the moment. So, the other change that I experienced over time, and this, I acknowledge, comes from a lot of practice and a lot of experience. But whereas previously, when I went to pretty much going no notes, having my notes in the pulpit but speaking a few feet away from them, in earlier times, I would practice several times through the week to make sure I understood myself, to make sure that I, wanted, that I could convey the points that I wanted to convey in the right way. But near the end, it came to a point where the very first and only time that I would practice would be Saturday night right before bed. Everyone else had gone upstairs and I would wander the living room for just a little bit talking out my points, glancing at my page-long notes, and feeling satisfied that that would be enough. I admit that there was probably some other stuff going on within me that led me to this point, not just experience, but also perhaps a change in my overall approach and attitude to my vocation. But that will be a whole other podcast episode at some future time, maybe. But back to the matter at hand. That single once-over 
on a Saturday night still allowed me enough understanding of what I wanted to say, but also more than enough room to react, to adapt, to be flexible with my words. There were many times I would get up the next morning and I would stand up and begin preaching, and examples and stories and points would come to me in the moment. That is how the eruption of the real happens. Now again, adapt this to whatever setting you know best. I've mentioned teaching I've mentioned presenting. I've mentioned any form of meeting, whether with a group or one-on-one. You may have certain things that you want to be sure to say. You may have certain points that you want to be sure to make, but the room might have other ideas that affect how you get there. It might not be the same road that you had mapped out. You may have to end up taking some detours around some other things that are going on, but nevertheless, you end up changing the specifics to meet the moment. You do what you have to do so that the real has enough room to erupt. Here's an example that most, if not all of us, can relate to. And that be that would be just relationships with family or friends. Neither person in a relationship like this are static beings. Instead, you react to each other. You go into any relationship with certain ideas about yourself. You have certain ideas about the world. You have certain ideas or hopes or expectations for your relationship with this other person. And the longer the relationship, the more history and memory that you bring to that relationship as well. A lot of relationships end up damaged when one or both sides hold too rigidly to that set of ideas about oneself, the world, the expectations for the relationship, the history, the memory, without reacting, without adapting, without leaving room to grow. Because what is a relationship without the opportunity to grow. And the key is to under-prepare in order to allow that growth to happen.
So I have a couple more examples of this glass tube versus eruption of the real idea. And I want to fire them off relatively in relatively quick succession, just so you're given more of a, a breadth of opportunity to think about this. The first one is, once again, thinking about preaching. I'm sorry I said I was done, but I'm not quite done with it. It's that concept of a sermon being an event. I occasionally teach a preaching class, and I always make it a point to identify the various moving parts in the room whenever someone gets up to preach. The first moving part is the preacher. The preacher not only brings what they want to say to the pulpit, but they also bring everything that is going on in their lives, everything that makes the preacher who they are. They bring all of that with them, all that is churning within them, even for those 15 or 20 minutes that they are speaking. That is moving. That is influencing what they say and also how they are reacting to whatever else is happening in the room. The second piece, second moving part is the congregation. If you have a room full of a hundred people, just like the preacher, they also have brought all of their own identities and beliefs and moving parts and extended relationships and whatever's going on at home, whatever's going on at work, whatever is going on elsewhere in their lives, they bring to that moment as well. They are not static creatures either. And then this, the third moving part is the wider world. Whatever's going on in the community, whatever's going on nationally, whatever's going on internationally, all of that might be on people's minds as well. Certainly the case these days, but it always has been. And then there's the room itself, and by that I mean the physical space. Where the preacher stands, how the congregation is arranged seating-wise, the echo of the room, and so on. All of that impacts how the sermon is heard and experienced, how that moment comes to life. Second example that I want to fire off Recently, someone on Twitter named Nick Hurwich talked about reading the script of the movie Get Out, a popular and thought-provoking movie that came out a few years ago. And he talked about how the experience of reading the script, he didn't necessarily enjoy it. He said there were a lot of weird page breaks. The formatting was just strange. There was some stilted writing. There, 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 it was just 
very different to read through these pages. But then he said the ideas were there. The ideas that eventually came to life and were realized on the screen. The one did not, it brought the beginnings of what eventually came to life, but it wasn't solely what the movie was about. The eruption of the real was how the movie was adapted and how the movie was brought to life by the director and actors and others who worked on it. The final example that I want to shoot off real quick is Dave Matthews Band. Did you know I wrote a book about Dave Matthews Band? I'll be sure to link to that in the show notes. Dave Matthews Band is one of those bands whose reputation is built more on their live performances and their touring, more so than their studio projects. There is the studio version of their songs, the versions that get played on the radio, the versions that far and away most people are most familiar with. But then, there is the live version. You listen, for instance, to Ants Marching off of one of their earliest albums. You listen to the studio version. But then when you go and you hear the live version of Ants Marching, and not only that, but you hear various versions, maybe maybe one version from an earlier phase of the band versus their latest concert. It's all so very different, and there's, there's so much room that they leave for one another to play off of each other. And if you, if you pay close enough attention during various songs, you'll see Dave himself kind of nod to one of his other bandmates. And before you know it, you are immersed in a, an extended solo, an extended jam that features and focuses on whoever it is that he nodded to. It's a much more dynamic interpretation of the song. I have another example, but this one will be a little longer, and it's from the Bible. Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. Jesus is walking along, and his journey is interrupted by a Syrophoenician woman, a woman who is not of the same background as Jesus. And she has a sick daughter, and she pleads with Jesus for him to heal her daughter. And Jesus' first response is to say, it's not fair to throw the children's food to dogs. In case you didn't pick up on it, that's an insult. Jesus has just insulted this woman, who was of this differing background. And he is essentially refusing to help her. But the woman 
she's not going to give up. Out of love for her daughter, she immediately claps back, Well, even dogs eat crumbs that fall on the floor. Jesus' initial rigidness, his initial glass tube interpretation of reality, of this particular situation, is broken by this eruption of the real that her response entails. The woman adapts and reacts, and then Jesus further adapts and reacts and agrees her daughter will be healed. Jesus even learns something. Both people in the story are changed for the better. Now again, what would have happened without that reaction, without that adaptation that happens in this story? Jesus would have continued on his way and probably would have put into question what kind of a God he represented. It also would have left not one person, but two injured, wounded in his wake. Now, after having said all of this stuff about glass tube versus eruption of the real, I, I want to pause or I want to segue just a little bit. I, I want to be sure that I'm not trying to downplay routine or belief too much. We all have our habits. We all have our favorites. We all have things that we rely on. We treasure, for instance, our evening downtime. We have ideals that are core to who we are. We have practices that help us make meaning and that we miss if, if we're not able to do them at the time expected or allotted. But there also come times to question these things, to adapt them, to test their boundaries, to make exceptions. Again, we have the Mark story. There were questioning of boundaries of who God's grace is for, and as a result of that eruption of the real, we have expanded community and justice. There may be times where we have our daily downtime that we look forward to every day. We, we, we treasure it. We try to put up hedges around it so that we can keep it. But if someone comes and needs our help, desperately needs our help, someone we love, someone that we would drop everything for, well, for this one time, we would need to give up that which we have been looking forward to in order to meet that need. And again, I mention relationships. Any relationship is two people discovering how well their habits and preferences mesh with another's. And there come times, plenty of times, to discuss how well those habits and preferences work together in order for that relationship to continue, and not just continue, but to thrive and to grow. We miss out on a lot 
when we insist on the glass tube. We miss out on growth and change, not just for ourselves, but for those around us as well. We miss out on opportunities to see ourselves in a new way. We miss out on opportunities to live into what's right in front of us, rather than to try to stick by the idea of the world that only exists in our minds. To make space for that eruption of the real is to appreciate how dynamic and 3D life is. It allows room for the unexpected. But we can only do that if we let go of our notes enough to adapt and to speak into life. While discerning what we want to be sure to hold on to, but also to lean into the potential of the rest. In this way, if we are, if we, if we are diligent about this, then we end up contributing to the growth of others, and we may grow ourselves. What could happen? Imagine what could happen if you lived your next day with no notes. Thank you for listening to the Coffee House Contemplative Podcast. I'm Jeff Nelson. You can find more about my writing, including my four books, at jeffreyanelson.com. You can also find me on social media, facebook.com slash RevJeffNelson, and I am at BoldRoastRev on both Twitter and Instagram. Have a great week.